This is the Improve Photography Podcast, episode number 226. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to the Improve Photography Podcast. I am glad you are here for your weekly dose of photography knowledge. Today, I am joined by one of the writers on improvephotography.com, Kirk Bergman. Hey, Kirk, how are you? Hey, Jim, I'm good. Great. Well, Kirk is a real estate photographer in Utah and writes on improved photography. He just started writing not too long ago. And so I'm glad to have you on here and and get to know you a a little bit more along with everybody else. Um, This has been a uh, uh, interesting week for me because I switched from Fuji to the Sony a7R2. And so I've been getting a bunch of questions about it. Uh, I don't want to put a lot of drama around this. I think it's funny every time. Uh, have you noticed, Kirk, like every time somebody switches cameras, uh, they like, you know, put out this thing, I'm ditching, I'm getting <laughs> rid of the whatever brand you were yeah. with before. And then they lose half their friends on Facebook. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I, I just wanted to kind of explain why, because I have got a lot of questions about it. Um, I, st- I love Fuji. Fuji is great. I, nothing has changed suddenly in the last week. Um, the reason that I am switching to, to Sony is, well, for, for really a few reasons that we want to talk about. But but mostly, it's about I want to learn a new camera system uh, is all. I like to know and be knowledgeable about all the different systems and uh, so that I can talk about them here and, and write about them on the website and on the YouTube channel. And so uh, that's why. I, I just wanted to learn a new system. I've spent a little bit of time with Sony, but not enough time to know it intimately. And so that's really the reason that this is happening. You know, there were uh, the the kind of straw that broke the camel's back, to, so to speak, was the the wide-angle lens on Fuji I really don't love. I've talked about that before, and that was annoying, but not enough to switch camera brands just for one thing. Uh, the Sony A7R series is not very well weather-sealed either. So, uh, so really, this is just about learning a new camera system, uh, which, which is something we want to talk about in this, this episode is how switching to a different cam- camera system can actually be really helpful uh, for learning your photography and how to do it without losing a ton of money. I think it's it's kind of a myth that it costs thousands of dollars to switch brands. Often, that, that's totally not the case. Well, what are you shooting, Kirk? Um, I shoot a Nikon D750. And have you always been on the Nikon system? Uh, no, actually. I bought the uh, Sony Alpha 7 when it first came out back in like 2009. Um, and I had like $2,000 worth, $2, worth of gear for that, but it all got stolen uh, from from work, actually. Um, and so I didn't from have From work? How did it. that happen? <laughs> well, it was... Um, I they, they were running... Uh, I, used to work, I used to work for a bank and they were running... Uh, a contest to be able to put one of your images on like their credit cards, one like one of their default images. Uh-huh. And so I brought my camera in and I was going to take the images off of it because I had some good ones of like waterfalls and whatever. Um, and then I left my bag there overnight and we had a really skeezy security guard um, that liked to just shuffle through people's stuff at night. And it ended up, the bag walked away. Um, there was no from evidence. a bank. I mean, wouldn't there be video yeah. everywhere and stuff? Uh, yeah, there actually was a lot of video, and I I sat down with the security guy and reviewed the video. But what he thinks happened is that somebody took it, realized that they would be seen on camera walking out with it, and then they just stashed it like under their desk for a few days, and then they left with it because we would have no no idea when they would walk out the doors with it. 
Extremely so, clever. Wow. Yeah, it was, so yeah, it was crappy. Ah, that um, stinks. But yeah. So anyway, that got stolen. I didn't have a camera for a long time. And then I was participating in a, in a secret Santa online and my secret Santa sent me a Canon Rebel T2i, um, which was like super awesome to get. Um, and that's what threw me back into, into photography. I, I decided that um, I was going to start shooting stuff again. And, and uh, I used that until I felt that I had surpassed the capabilities of the camera. Then I upgraded to a D750. And I've been using that for the past uh, two or three years now. Oh, very cool. Okay, so you've you've made the rounds as well. You've shot three different camera systems, uh, so you know exactly what I mean. I, I, I well, I, I don't know. Do you agree with me? I every time I switch camera systems, I learn new things about myself, and some of the things that I was leaning on that system strengths as kind of a crutch, and mm-hmm. then you move to a different one, you say, oh, some of those things that I was leaning on are kind of exposed now, and I need to kind of adjust the way that I shoot. Did, did you experience yeah. anything like that? Yeah, one of the coolest things that I thought jumping around from camera systems is the buttons are in different places. Mm-hmm. And I feel that you get complacent with with just how your settings are and how the buttons are and everything. And then you really have to think about what you're doing with a photo because you have to think about how to change the settings or how to manipulate the camera. And it puts you back into like basic photographer mode instead of just shooting in your mental P mode all the time. Yep. That, that's so important. I, every time I go do night photography with, with others, I go shoot in a group, it becomes so readily apparent, uh, how little people, how little time a lot of photographers spend with their camera to intimately know it, you know, uh, mm-hmm. because it's dark and suddenly you can't look around for that button. You got to know where it is. Oh, yeah. And if you're shooting in a group, it's incredibly annoying. Uh, if you keep turning on a flashlight so you can see your, uh, so you can see your buttons on your camera because then ah ruins everybody's exposures Uh, so it's you i think it's really important to i mean go spend some time in a dark room with your camera and just you know at least know the basics how do i adjust aperture iso shutter speed how do i uh, replay a photo how do i bracket a photo all those kind of basic things make sure you can do them absolutely in the dark uh, because when you're doing night photography it really is helpful and it makes everything faster even during the daytime yeah, that was the best piece of advice I ever got was learn how to memorize where everything on your camera is. And if you can't do everything in the dark, then you need to practice more with it. And like you said, I mean, when you're shooting night photography, you don't always have that luxury of being able to turn on a flashlight and look at stuff. Or even if you do, you could miss the shot that you're waiting for. And so it's nice to know where everything is and then you can just do it right there on the fly. Yeah, I think there are a lot of things like that in photography, especially the just the exposure triangle for the beginning photographers that are listening. There, you learn the you don't know the exposure triangle at all. You get your camera, you read a blog post, you watch a video, and you say, "Oh, I got it. It makes sense." And then you actually go out and shoot in a whole bunch of different situations. You know, my son Ruger's on the stage. He's you know in a play or something, running around. It's really dark in there, and it's like, "Ooh, how do I set my camera settings for?" this i go outside in the middle of the day how do you set your camera settings for that there are different levels of learning everything and you can understand it intellectually but until you really have facility with that with each different technique it's going to slow you down and it's going to keep you from focusing on the creative stuff yep exactly Okay, so the crutches that I felt like in the Fuji system, the the areas where uh, 
where I just wasn't as careful. Our, the Fuji system is significantly lower resolution than the A7R2. The A7R2 is 40.2 megapixels. Now, this is a very serious large sensor, right? Um, and I used to shoot that with Nikon. I shot 36 megapixels on the D800. But when I was with Fuji, uh, you know, for a while, those the habits that you have when you're shooting very high resolution stick with you for, for a time. You know, you're checking absolute perfect sharpness everywhere. And then you start shooting Fuji and it's, you know, 16, 20 megapixels, 20 megapixels, depending on which, uh, which body you have. And it, it, you just miss so much where, you know, you're looking at the photo, you're in Lightroom, it's full screen. And it's just, you don't notice those little things like, Ooh, that my focus is a little off or yeah, I probably should have focus stacked this. You know, I was trying to use the APS-C sensor that has a deeper depth of field as a crutch where I just kind of didn't, um, didn't, uh, uh, yeah, you know what I mean? You're just, uh, if I shoot at F16, eh, I have pretty good depth of field. Good enough. Yeah, Where, good enough. Eh, we'll, we'll I should have taken yeah. a little bit more time. Yeah, yeah. So, so those were the crutches with the Fuji system, but every camera system, when you switch, you uh, different parts about you are kind of exposed, uh, different things you want to do. Yeah, it seems that different cameras have different strengths too, and mm -hmm. that reveals different weaknesses that you have when you get used to shooting with one camera system, because when you switch over to like Sony or whatever, that's going to be stronger in different areas. And you have to realize that you were kind of lacking in this because you never use those muscles with your previous system. Yeah, especially autofocus. You know, if you're used to shooting on a camera system that's fantastic, that has fantastic autofocus, you know, let's say the Canon 70 Mark II has tremendous autofocus. Uh, then you switch to a camera that's not so great. And, ooh, you you got to put a lot of more effort into this. Mm -hmm. uh, and you got to get it. Or the the one that uh, that I noticed this, uh, both in myself and, and a lot in others, is when you go out to do night photography suddenly you can't just use autofocus unless you're shooting fuji fuji's incredible with getting focus in in the dark uh yeah. and you say oh how do i focus to infinity i have no idea uh, or you know how do i focus 20 feet out when it's completely dark and it's just a new skill that uh that's that you notice uh-huh all right, so my plan is I'm going to shoot the a7R2 for a few months until the a7R3 comes out, and then I'll buy the a7R3, hopefully, I mean, unless they do something crazy with the specs, but I, I'm going to anticipate that that's going to be a pretty cool camera. So I expect to be buying that one, um, and... And as for lenses, I've pre-ordered the new 16 to 35 on the Sony system. That's an f 2.8 lens. I I really like having an f 2.8 for my wide angle lens because then it doubles as a night photography lens. But right now I, I have the the f 4, and so I'm I'm gonna kind of shoot both of these systems a little bit just because I want to kind of have them both and see both of their strengths for a couple weeks, and then I'll uh, I'll eventually be be selling off all the Fuji gear. So how come, let me ask you a question, Jim, how come you didn't, uh, or I guess I shouldn't assume that you didn't, but did you rent the, the, a, the, AR, the A7R2 before you bought it and play around with it a little bit? No, I didn't rent. Um, I, I have played a lot, played with them before. You know, lots of people have had them at, at shoots that I've been to at meetups and things. So I've, I've at least played with them. Um, okay. you know, honestly, I, I don't rent 
almost ever. I, it's rare that I rent. I, I think it's, it's great for a lot of people. For me, I kind of have a different approach, uh, mm. that I, well, I just released a YouTube video about this. Um, and I, I'll just kind of go over the basics here, but you really should go watch the YouTube video and, and check out the, the accompanying article on the website about how you can switch camera systems or switch cameras or whatever gear you want without really losing money. Um, and so here's here's the basics of it. You have to think about photography gear on as kind of an S-curve of depreciation. So if I bought a Nikon D800 in, oh, when was that released? Maybe 2012? Eh, mm-hmm. Something like 2012. Um if I hold that Nikon D800 for three years or so, I'm barely going to lose any money, just a couple hundred dollars, really. Um, and that's that's you know a true to life example. I did buy an, a D800 and sold it about three years later, and you don't lose much money because it's still the top of the line. It's still you know the camera, a camera a lot of a lot of people want to buy. Uh, it hasn't been replaced yet by by a new version, and so if people are looking for that camera, they everybody's kind of stretching their budgets to get a camera like that, then um, a lot of people will buy used to save a few hundred bucks. And so you just, you don't lose that much money if you're buying it new and you're selling it before the, the replacement, the new one is announced because that, so picture an S as the depreciation at the, at the a backwards S, I guess. At the top, it, it stays pretty flat for a little bit. The You don't depreciate more than a couple hundred bucks in the first two or three years for most gear. And then after the replacement of it is released and it's three years old, it's kind of getting to be old tech and the camera's looking a little beat up. Whoom, the depreciation plummets. curve plummets, yeah. absolutely plummets over the next three years. And then it eventually it's going to level off again because, I mean, now let's say uh, whatever the Nikon D800's five, six years old, uh, but but that's still a very capable camera and yeah. still a lot of people are going to want to shoot that. It certainly has value and it'll stay relatively flat again uh, for the next couple of years. Oh, sure. Yeah. So when if I you sold. Yeah, go ahead. When I sold my uh, my uh, Canon Rebel T2i, I mean, brand new, that was like, what, maybe $700, give or take. Uh-huh. And then, I mean, they've had so many iterations up past that, but I was able to sell it like five years after its initial production date for, I mean, 230 bucks or something. Yeah, so, I mean, there you go. Still a decent chunk of change. Uh-huh. Yeah, I... Yeah, I I had the Sony RX100 version 5 that I've been using to record YouTube videos. And I saw in Sony Alpha rumors this week that the new version is going to come out in four to six weeks. Boom, I was on eBay like that to sell, sell it uh, because I can sell it right now. I, I only owned that camera for five months. And so I bought it, used it very heavily for the last five months, and now I sold it. How much did it cost me to do that? 119 bucks uh, to get a really nice camera and use it heavily for five months. It's like I just got a five-month rental for 100 bucks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So if you're always watching that depreciation curve and just, I mean, just thinking about it, for each piece of gear as long as you don't hold the hot potato as long as you aren't holding it at the time when their placement comes out and it starts to plummet for the next couple of years you really just don't lose much in gear i mean i've switched from uh from canon to nikon i had several sony i had sony video cameras and then replaced them for video um and then to fuji and now to sony over the last you know seven years and it 
it's barely cost me anything for the gear because uh, if you're if you're just always watching that you just don't lose much money it's your initial investment and then you have to manage it over time otherwise man you're going to depreciate like crazy and then you won't you'll have to make another big investment if you want to switch yep yep and i you want to keep your gear working in in nice condition to get top dollar for it too i imagine so I mean, yeah don't, I'm, don't beat it half to death while you're out there shooting <laughs> that's me i'm terrible <laughs> at that i am too rough on gear i i vowed to do better um but you know my sister-in-law came over for a few days last week and she's a real estate photographer in eastern idaho and we she wanted to learn a couple things so i said well let's go let's just go set up and do a real estate shoot in in my kitchen and so we sat up and shot uh set up a set our sat set up our gear i know i sounded wrong we set up our gear and then we shot brought the photos back to lightroom and the image quality was just bad i mean it just looked terrible and i said what is this why does it look like that and it was a nikon d3200 which is still a very capable camera i'm not trying to disparage anybody's camera anything like that but just where i'm used to shooting higher end and newer cameras uh it was just like what is that why does it look so noisy and and just the dynamic range wasn't good and i thought what is happening uh and it's just it's getting to be kind of older tech Mm -hmm. and and she you know earns a side income from a real estate photography like you do and she said oh yeah i would love to get a new camera system but it's just too expensive and i said no if you if you look carefully you can do it so we sat down and opened up an excel document and we started listing everything she had every old tripod every flash every you know uh you know everything all the accessories all the old photo bags and we listed it and if she sold everything everything it was like four thousand one hundred bucks and even though it was all mostly old stuff and so i said hey let's sell all this forty one hundred dollars worth of stuff you can buy a sweet real estate setup so we priced out a a full frame canon 60 a knockout canon 17 millimeter tilt shift lens Uh we got her like the ultimate real estate setup and at the end of it she still pockets a couple hundred bucks. There you go. You just, if you're watching it and you think through everything, usually you're not stuck. You know, if you only have one camera and one lens, you know, this probably isn't going to work. But if you've been shooting for several years, you probably have more things than you think. And if you don't have a bunch of gear to sell off, go look at your garage. (laughs) Everybody's got stuff, you know, hold a garage sale, see what you could do. Usually you can hustle your way to a camera without a, without a big expenditure. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. Get rid of some of the junk in the trunk and buy yourself a new camera. Yeah. So I have a video. If you just go to improvephotography.com slash sell gear, improvephotography.com slash sell gear. That's where I have an article explaining like, um, everything it's you know should you sell on amazon or so should you sell your old gear on ebay and step by step how to do that there are depending on which gear items you have amazon is better for some and ebay is better for others and i spell out the whole system that i've kind of developed uh, for doing that there it's really easy usually i can list gear for sale in fact i just uh jesse's helping me to do to do that this week and you can sell like all your gear in a day or two uh, if you list it well on on Amazon or eBay. It'll go really, really fast. Yeah. 
What's your experience selling on like Facebook or Craigslist, Jim? Usually what I do is I only sell gear that's cheap. You know, the, the Nikon D3000, the 55 to 250 lens, the really inexpensive $400 and under kind of stuff on, on Facebook Marketplace or on Craigslist. Uh-huh. Um, I have tried to sell some of the higher end stuff and it's just, you know, at least in Boise where it's kind of a medium sized market, it's not like a huge Craigslist. Um, it just kind of sits there forever because it's so few people that are looking for that, you know, in you one get, city. Yeah. Or you get 200 lowball offers the first day and right. then, yeah, then you have but, to pull it because you're annoyed at getting texted all day. Yeah, but the advantage is that there are no fees. When you sell on Amazon or eBay, you got to pay fees, which sometimes are up to like 8%. Uh, so it's it's beneficial if you have kind of the lower end gear. Yeah, yeah, makes sense. Okay, so be sure to check that out. At, just go to the Improved Photography YouTube channel and you'll see the video or go to improvephotography.com slash sell gear. Well, uh, Kirk, I'm anxious to figure out a little bit about how you are, how you started just a couple of years ago. Uh, I, st- I was talking a little bit about real estate photography on the podcast and you uh, have kind of taken that and, and run and, and developed a side income for your family with that. So I'm anxious to kind of interview you in the second half of this uh, episode and find out how you're doing it and all the numbers and, and uh, what's working for you and what you've learned doing that. But before we do all that, right, man. we want to take just one second and thank Scott. Uh, Skillshare for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. Skillshare is a great way to learn photography uh, or really anything else you want to learn. They have uh, at over 15,000 classes in photography, design, and and pretty much whatever you're going to imagine. They have tons of classes up there. Uh, whether you're a professional photographer looking to your give your work a little extra edge or a freelancer who wants more clients or you want to learn branding, they have a great class on there about Instagram, another class on mobile photography. Uh, they have some great stuff on there. Uh, that you can check out. The one that I was looking at was mobile photography with Joe Greer. I think it was kind of cool. Um, you can take classes on everything from composition to after effects. Um, so definitely something to check out. Plus you get unlimited access to all the classes for one low monthly cost. And Skillshare is giving my listeners a month of unlimited access for free. Absolutely free. Just go to Skillshare.com slash improve to redeem your first free month. That's Skillshare.com slash improve. All right. Kirk, tell me about how you got started in real estate photography. Where, where, like, yeah, where did this come from? All right. Um, so this was um, about a year ago. It was I was actually listening to uh, the Improved Photography podcast, and it was when you had said that um, you were going to you're going to build a portfolio from scratch or something, and mm-hmm. you, you're going to focus on real estate photography. Um, you caught me. Right as I was listening to this, you caught me right at the best time because I was like super unhappy with my job and I was looking for something that I could turn into a, my my regular job. I eventually wanted to quit and I wanted to start doing something that I loved. Um, and while I love shooting landscape photography and I, I do that every chance I get, it's even more difficult to make a living doing that than uh, than any other kind of photography, I think. Um, so anyway, I, I listened to a couple of things that you had to say. I read some of those, uh, those very, um, those very early articles that you wrote on how to shoot real estate photography. And I was like, all right, 
I could probably do this. So like, hey, if um, this idiot can do it. <laughs> <laughs> and it yeah, so I, I went over to uh I went over to my mom's house because they have it's not a huge house, but it's they keep it clean and it's nice. And so I did a practice shoot there. Then I went over to my aunt's house and I did another practice shoot there, and I went over to my sister's house and did a practice shoot there. And let me tell you, the photos were terrible. Uh-huh. They were the worst ever. I was looking at those and I was like, man, I should just give up now. This is this is just awful. I feel um, you. You know, real estate photography is specialized work. Like oh, yeah. if you are just a landscape photographer and you're like, eh, I'm going to go do real estate, which was me. Terrible. Like I had the same experience. I was really bad at it. I'm still pretty bad at real estate photography, uh, but but I'm learning. I I did a I recorded a, a class that should be coming out like next week, the very start of June. It's going to be published on Improved Photography Plus and available in the Improved Photography Store. That's Improved Photography's you know main flagship real estate photography course, a video course with Josh Corrigan, who's awesome. Oh, and nice. so I was there videoing the the course with him and whoa i mean he was doing some awesome stuff and it's just it's so different from any other type of photography that every photographer has a learning curve oh yeah yeah it's uh yeah real estate photography anybody with a camera well anybody with a camera thinks they can go in and shoot anything um but with real estate it's like there's so many rules that you have to know in order to produce a good image Mm -hmm. that just running into a house with your camera and a tripod you're it's going to take a lot of practice to actually start producing good pictures that people want to pay for. Okay. So, so how did you get your first gig? I mean, so you built up your portfolio just by shooting family and friends houses. So you had a little bit of a portfolio and, and where from there? Uh, well, kind of. Um, so the first paid gig I got, um, and it's actually, it wasn't a real estate gig, what had happened is we were going up to Montana for a family reunion and it was going to be all my cousins, aunts and uncles. Um, we're talking like 50 plus people. And we had rented out this 12 bedroom lodge in Montana that we were all going to stay at and party at for the week. Um, and I looked at the pictures online and this is when I was just barely getting into the real estate photography thing. And I'm looking at the pictures online and of course it was just, I, they were just taken with cell phone and I'm like, this looks like a really nice place. I bet I could get some really good pictures of it. And so I was going to take my camera up to, to Montana with us um, and, uh, and get pictures of it. Um, and so we get up there, and before everybody starts unpacking, I, I tell everybody, keep your suitcases out of the way. I'm going to take a couple of pictures and just try some stuff here. Um, and I got a few pictures of the rooms. And then one of the evenings, um, I got a, a front, uh, a twilight photo of the front. And, they, and I brought them back, edited them in Lightroom, and, and they, I mean, by my standards today, they're really not that great. But at the time, I thought they were, you know, the best pictures I'd ever taken, and they really were. And so I ended up emailing the um, the VRBO listing person, agent, whoever it was, the owner or whoever, and I said, "I'm a." I called myself an architectural photographer, even though nice, like, hey, if you take pictures just, of architecture, you're an architectural <laughs> yeah. photographer. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I emailed her and I was like, hey, I'm an architectural photographer and I took some pictures of the lodge that you have and um, I, I would be happy to sell them to you if you'd be interested in buying them. And then I sent her a link to the portfolio and she responded um, a couple hours later and she was like, these are the best pictures I've ever seen. Oh my gosh, I'm so blown away. How much do you want for them? Um, and so I sold, it was probably 10 pictures 
for like 80 bucks, including the twilight picture, which is like way undercutting the market. <laughs> and any real estate photographer out there is just cringing at me saying that. Um, but yeah, they, that was my first gig. And that was the first like realization that I had that I've got skill that somebody is willing to pay for. And mm -hmm. then I, I just took it from there and, and uh, just kept moving forward. Oh, that's so cool. That's great. I love, I mean, I just love entrepreneurship. Like I, it is my lifelong addiction. And so it's, it just warms my heart listening to people who are out there hustling and just making something happen. Yeah. I, this is a total total aside. I, I was just, I was listening to this. Was it 60 minutes or 2020? I can't remember. There was just this thing talking about, uh, you know, these people that were on strike saying, oh, we aren't getting paid enough with low wages and stuff. And I don't mean to minimize the situations, but just the, the way that they were explaining, it was just like so melodramatic, just like, I'm so stuck. There's nothing. There's, it would be impossible for me to get any other job. And uh -huh. so I'm just going to whine at my employer. Uh, and I just, I love hearing people that are instead just going out and making stuff happen themselves. Yeah. I think that's so cool. Uh, the, uh, the so congratulations. I, Gold star, Kirk. Yeah. Thanks, Jim. <laughs> the best quote that I heard that was re related to that was um, everybody's fighting for a piece of the pie but they don't realize the world is a kitchen and you can oh, make your own pie. Nice. I like that. I like that. And photography is such a great way to do it because there are like, Oh, uh, there are a lot of different ways to chop up this pie, right? <laughs> like oh, yeah. you, they're wedding photography, commercial photography, headshots, real estate photography. You could sell stock Portraits, photography. babies, pets, cars. Oh, yeah. yeah. Whatever your interest is, there's there's going to be a way to monetize it with, with photography. And uh, I just think that's totally cool. Yeah. All right, so let's talk about today. Uh, how much if a real estate photographer, if a real estate agent calls you and just says, "Hey, how much does it cost?" What's your answer? Uh, nine cents per square foot. Oh, that's an interesting model. I haven't heard that. Okay, so let's pull out the calculator. Let's say yeah. I have a twenty-five hundred square foot home times point zero nine two hundred twenty-five dollars. Yep. Yep. Okay, that seems pretty reasonable. I huh. So I've actually got, um, so I, I just changed over to a new business model. I used to be running uh, Kirk Bergman Photography. And then for a number of reasons, I switched over to uh, a proper business name, which is now Agent Studio. Um, and that's when I changed my pricing Does it make model. you feel like 007 more? Uh, well, Agent no, Studio, actually, we need I, you. We need your help. I'm, I haven't thought of it that way. <laughs> but uh, yeah, now it kind of does. Now that, you, now that you say that. But uh, anyway, so I, I changed my pricing model when I moved over because, and I actually have this, this huge blog post that I wrote about it that explains why I moved over from package pricing to square footage pricing. So, to, so why is that? I, I actually like this. I have, I've actually done quite a bit of studying of real estate photographers pricing um, as I was working with my sister-in-law and, and also preparing for a new pricing product that's going to come out on improved photography. And I've actually never seen anybody that does a pure square footage. I often see people that will say, you know, under 2,500 square foot, it's this much over 2,500 square foot. It's this much. I've never seen anybody that does it just pure cent per square foot. Yeah. So the reason that I did it, and, and let me give you a little background. What I used to do before was a package model, and it was based off of what wedding photographers do. So I would have package A, B, C, D, and the cost would go up along with the product as the, as the cost goes up. Um, and the intent was, you know, package A would be like $150, and it would be designed for houses that were like 
1500, 2000 square feet. And it would be like maybe 15 or 18 photos. And it would have like, you know, a couple other things in there. And then package D on, on the back end or on the, on the heavy end was designed for like million dollar houses. And it was 45 photos and it was drone images and it was twilights and it was all this other stuff that was thrown in there. And of course that package would be like a thousand dollars or something. Um, so there was this huge, uh, this huge variance between the two packages, but what ended up happening is that the quality of the photos is the same in package A versus package D, but I would get real estate agents that would ask me to shoot a 4,000 square foot house, but they would only want, they would only want package A. Mm-hmm. So now to photograph the house properly, and I just, I just did one that had 20 foot vaulted ceilings, huge open concept, and I had to bust out like four lights to do it. Um, and all of and reflectors and light modifiers and everything just to photograph it appropriately so it reflects good on me and my brand but I'm only getting paid half of what that shoot is really worth and so the reason I moved over to a per square image or a a per square foot pricing model sorry um, is because usually the more square feet the more complicated it is to shoot and the more lights I have to bring out and the more bouncing I have to do and light modifiers and everything. So now I'm being properly compensated for the effort it takes to photograph the house versus if it's like a 1200 square foot house, it doesn't take as much effort. That's why it costs less. You're still going to get good photos, but now I'm not trying to bounce four lights off of 20 foot vaulted ceilings and light the dining area along with the kitchen, along with the sitting area, along with everything else that's in the same exposure. I, th- Kirk, this is genius. <laughs> a borderline yeah. borderline genius don't want to fill your head okay, okay. yeah thanks so for like, cutting me down a <laughs> so like a 3500 square foot home um is 315 dollars that you're earning uh uh-huh. a 215 or 2500 foot square foot home is 225 dollars uh this is I, I think that's actually really fair uh yeah, for yeah. both sides it's definitely not high end um and it's definitely not you know undercutting the market and low end either it's kind of right in the middle with, you know, if you're a, a part-time real estate photographer, uh, this is, I, I, that sounds like really fair pricing to me. I like that. Yeah. And it's super easy. So like you said, if an agent calls up and they say, I, I want to have my house shot, um, how much do you charge? And then I don't have to say, well, if it's between 2000 and 2,500, it's going to be this mm-hmm. much. And if it's between 2,600 and, and 32, it's going to be this much. And then you know, that, that can get complicated trying to figure out how much you're going to charge them for it. So I just, it's a flat nine cents per square foot. They already know what the square footage is and they know it down to the square foot. So if it's 2697, just multiply that by 0.09 and boom, that's how much it costs. And it's super easy to do that. I really, really, really like that. I have another website. So I, I run a network of, of different websites. Improved Photography is the one that I spend most of the time on, but I um, you know, have several others. And so we had an information product that you could buy on that website. It was kind of expensive. It was $150. And so you, uh, but there were three different packages. There was an 89 a uh, hundred fifty, and then a six hundred ninety nine. Um, just kind of different tiers of of how much help you wanted, and and uh, in a consultation, etc. And so I, I, 
everything was going right. Most of the people were paying $150. Almost never, nobody bought the $699, but some people did. And so, uh, so I had this idea. I thought, you know what? If I were to go to this page, I would have decision drama. I would get there and I'd be like, ah, oh, should I get the chief one and save some? No, but I really want, you know. <laughs> and then you get frustrated and you're like, ah, I'm going back to Facebook, you know. <laughs> uh-huh, uh-huh, yep. So I said, what if we just delete all of these tiers and we just make one price and it's $199? Something so interesting happened. Um, now that the price was effectively going up, because most of the people were paying 150, now that it was just one option at 199, 25% more, the number of sales increased at a pretty good clip. Uh, we had more conversions because it was more expensive, but only one choice this time. And yeah, so I, I think you know, real estate agents would do the same thing. They go, they see all your packages. Oh, I would love to get some drone shots, but no. <laughs> and here it's just clear. I, I like that. Yeah. And that's how it was. I mean, I would have like my most expensive packages would have a ton of stuff. And a lot of times the, the agents just need the photos. They don't want video. They don't want custom flyers. They don't want like I do listing websites and, and all this other stuff. They wouldn't want that. And so they just want the photos and they're like, well, I need like 30 photos of this place, but I don't need all this other stuff that's on top of it. And so then they would just default to the cheapest package, which had the least amount of stuff in it. And then, like I mentioned, now I'm only being paid half of what that shoe is really worth. Hmm. I like that. I like that a lot. This is great. <laughs> okay. So, all right, we've, we've harped on your pricing. Let's talk about a little bit more about the technique and, uh, and, and gear. What, what, what kind of gear do you, you said you're shooting the D750? What's your yep, favorite lens for real estate? That's right. So um, I'm shooting the D750. Currently, I've got the Tokina 17 to 35 F4. Um, and the reason I bought that is because it was cheap. Um, I think it's like 500 bucks or less than 500 bucks on Amazon. I'm not familiar with that lens, actually. Tokina 17 to 40? A 17 to 35. Huh. I, I don't know that lens at all. Yeah. So um, the the next article that I'm writing is about the best real estate lenses. So well, okay. I'll just stay tuned to your next article read then. Read all about it. Perfect. Um, but yeah, so Tokina, they're new-ish to the market. I mean, they've been around for a couple of years, but they make budget gear and that's really what it is. It's not the best lens and I would love to upgrade to Nikon's version. They're 16 to 35 F4. Yeah, that's um, a good lens. But I mean, I just don't have it in the budget right now to do that. Plus, the, to- the Tokina makes good enough images. I mean, I've shot a ton of stuff with it. If you're focus peaking and you're being super careful about it, then you can get really, really good images from it. And because of that, I just really haven't had much incentive from a gear perspective to upgrade because it serves my needs for right now. Um, and then the other lens that I'm shooting with that I have that I really like is the Rokinon 24mm tilt shift. Um, I actually rented that one for a shoot fell in love with it, called up the rental company, said, I'm going to buy this. And they said, okay, great, keep it. Here's the payment information. And I've been using that as well. Um, and I absolutely love that lens. It's super sharp um, and you can maintain straight verticals, get a, the best composition of the room or of the exterior, um, which is what I mostly use it for is shooting um, exterior photos. And it's really not that expensive either. I think it's like 750 bucks or 730 or something like that new off Amazon um, compared to like the Canon or the Nikon tilt shift lenses, which are like between 2000 and 34,000 or 
yeah, two thousand and thirty-four hundred dollars. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are really pricey. I mean, I'd I'd love to get the the Nikon nineteen millimeter, but that's a thirty-four hundred dollar lens. Yeah, it's expensive. I think that's a very compelling reason if if you're shooting real estate primarily to shoot Canon because they have that 17 millimeter tilt shift uh-huh. that uh, costs around 1700 bucks if you're buying it used. Oh, yeah. uh, you know, it's a good value. 17 millimeters is great for real estate photography. That's a pretty compelling reason to shoot Canon. Yep. Yep. I've had, I've spoken to a lot of people that have that lens and they really like it. Um, the 17 millimeters is a good to get a lot of the space and then you can just crop out whatever you don't need. Mm-hmm. And it's got the tilt shift functionality. So you can, you can get the best composition, which I mean, you, we could go into a huge technical aspect of shooting with a tilt shift that will just, we'll lose everybody or mostly everybody. Yeah. It's, it's difficult we, to explain on audio. Yeah. I, I have tried and tried to understand tilt shift and then it, it really didn't click until I just sat down with one and played just twist knobs and stuff. And yep. it's like, Oh, I and, see what it and does. See what happens when you start moving the knobs around and you're like, uh-huh. Oh, okay. That's, that's how this works. Yeah. For those who don't know, a tilt shift lens physically bends in the middle of the lens for the tilt. And then the shift, it like, you know, it mounts onto the camera in the same spot and then it has like a little drop down where i can drop down or go up and well i'll just i'm going to do my best to explain it but you really just have to play with them so let's say i'm shooting a room i'm shooting a kitchen and we have a ton of ceiling and one thing josh corrigan told me in the class that i was recording with him that's going to be published on improved photography plus next week um, as well as uh, in the improved photography store the real estate photography course is you don't want to have a ton of ceiling in real estate photos Uh, it makes it seem like the ceilings are really low in the room and so you just twist these knobs on the side and the lens physically drops down uh, in front of the mount. And by doing that, it uh, just makes it so the ceiling is not there, uh, that you don't have as much ceiling, but it's not the same thing as tipping the camera down uh, because then you would you'd lose like the view out of a window and that's... you. See, I quit. Yeah. You just have to try it. But once you See, twist the knobs, it totally makes sense. Yeah, basically what a tilt shift lens does is imagine your little square of a sensor inside your camera what a tilt shift lens is it it exposes this huge circle on that square of your sensor and then it will actually move the image up or down so you're maintaining the composition but it's just a different part of the image that's exposed onto your sensor is how it really works um but the yeah all the logistics behind it are kind of mind-boggling unless you start playing with it yeah, and I do. I don't even understand the physics of how it does what it does. But once you twist the knobs, it it clicks right away. It's not really yeah. not that complicated, but you have to play with it really to get it. I think. Yep. All right. So, uh, so that's your lens. Uh, how about tripod ball head? Do you have a preference there? Um, I've been shooting with a Manfrotto aluminum. Uh, I think it's like a 190 Pro X or something like that. Um, okay, 190 that was- X Pro B is that the one? Yeah, uh huh. Yep, that's the one. And how about a drone? I saw one on your desk. Yeah, so I've got a uh, just a Phantom Four Advanced. Um, I didn't go with the Pro. I didn't go with the 4K because it, it's just real estate. I'm not trying to sell these to National Geographic or anything. Yep. And so I didn't want to spend the extra money on that. I would really love to get um, the uh, 
the Phantom 4 Pro that's got the one-inch sensor. Uh-huh. And that'll probably be the next one that I get when I upgrade. Um, but for shooting real estate, this one works just fine. There's There was no reason to buy a, a better one. Yeah, and the Phantom 4 Pro, I love it, but it's been out for, what, six months now? Which means it's ancient. It's oh, already yeah. on the steep part of the, of the depreciation <laughs> curve as far as drones are concerned. <laughs> DJI is releasing drones at us at an astonishing clip i mean it's just astonishing how fast they're improving so yeah drones are one of those things that just expect you're going to lose your investment they're uh-huh. they are changing so so fast yep um, exactly so I, yeah i would only recommend buying a drone I either get a really good deal on it or buy it the instant it's released uh, don't buy a year old one because it's going to be replaced so fast yep <laughs> All right. Well, cool. Uh, oh, and that last about flash. Are you using speed lights? Yes, I am. So I, I'm using some Yongnuo uh, 4 564s, uh-huh. I think they are. So I've got three of those. And then I've also got a, um, oh, shoot. What is it called? It's a, it's a 300 watt. Now I can't remember. Um, a studio strobe of some kind? Yes. It's, yeah. Some kind of studio strobe, but yeah. It's in, and that one is really good for... Is this like a handheld a, one that looks like the cop's uh, you know, speed checker? Like no, the it's nice not photo? that one. Yeah. So I think that's the 8200 or something like that. So this one is a little bit beefier than that one. It has more light output. Oh, okay. Um, but yeah, I know which one you're talking about. It looks, yeah, it looks like a, it's got a pistol handle on it and it looks like a radar gun i really enjoyed um, playing with that <laughs> yeah I've, I've actually seen another real estate photographer put two on top of each other strap them together with velcro and then he calls it thor's hammer <laughs> nice <laughs> i love it well kirk thanks for sharing a little bit about your real estate photography everybody can go to your website if you search um they'll see it's agent tell me again yeah, so Agent Studio, but it's spelled A-G-Y-N-T. Just to be Studio. extra mysterious. Well, so, and I looked it up before, but Agent Studio, the spell, normal spelling is actually taken by a travel agency company. Uh. Um, but, you know, spelling things different is all the rage now. And so I had to spell it a little different to be a little more unique. My kids um, would yeah. be singing Special Agent Oso all the time. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, well, I wanted to send out congratulations to an Improved Photography Plus member, Nate Bell. Uh, he photographed his own engagement. Uh, in Like he, you know, went down on one knee right behind a waterfall and got this epic photo of himself selfie of him uh proposing to his uh to his now fiance it was an awesome photo really cool if you're an improved photography plus member click over to the community and check out his photo he did a great job so congratulations nate Uh, a couple housekeeping items the app oh the app I every literally every three days I send out another beta to all of the writers and the podcasters are beta testing the app right now. And every time I say, okay, I think this is the release candidate. If nothing goes wrong this time, it's going to be published to the app store. And we've just had bug after bug after bug that we're working through, but it's very close. I, I, I think we have like four or five bugs left to squish. I'm still 
really hoping we can stick to this June 5 uh, publish date. This The app was supposed to come out in March, and then it was supposed to be May, uh, mid-May, and now we're pushed to June 5, but we are so close. The app is working flawlessly on my phone, has worked flawlessly for months, in fact, uh, but you know, there's so many different devices, uh, even in the Apple app ecosystem, that um, we're just working through a few, few things, but I'm not going to release it until it's really, really ready. But the data on there is sweet. Go to the Improved Photography YouTube channel. I just posted in that video that I mentioned about how to sell, uh, how to buy gear low and sell high. Um, I take you on an on-location shoot kind of in the middle of that as an aside in that. And the location I found with really good photo spots and it was like mind-blowingly awesome. Uh, so look out for that. It's going to be very, very soon. Uh, the mystery trip is happening June 13. So I'm going to be posting a mysterious photo every day to show you where I am. I'm just going to show up to the airport and uh, my assistant, Jesse from photographerva.com has uh, booked me a trip, booked me a trip to some country in the world that I'm going to go shoot for seven days, but I get no prep, no notice. I just show up to the airport and read my ticket. So I'm going to be posting about that uh, and also doing tons of daily YouTube video for every day that I'm gone. Hey, Jim, are you going to make us guess where you are? Yeah, I think I am. I think I'm going to post a little cryptic video each day uh, while I'm gone. So everybody can guess just kind of fun. And then, and then the YouTube videos will start coming out and you can kind of follow the journey and see how bad it ends up. That's a great idea. (laughs) Uh, Improved photography retreat. That's at improvedphotography.com. Just check the very top. There's tickets for the retreat. That's in Charleston, South Carolina, March 20th the weekend of the 20th um it's really inexpensive uh this year because uh hotels are cheaper um and we we got some really neat things in the works last year we focused a little bit more on portrait photography we are going to still stay true to that and there's going to be a ton for portrait photographers but i really want to double down on the landscape side of things with your this year's retreat um in charleston there's some just tremendous locations to shoot in charleston i need to plan a trip out there to do some shooting to kind of show everybody uh the location so Get your tickets for the Improved Photography Retreat. And now the doodads of the week. Um, My doodad this week is a simple screen protector, not for your phone, but for the screen on the back of your camera. One thing I noticed as I was looking at tons of used Sony cameras, holy cow, Sony LCD screens are incredibly scratch prone. I read this in a couple... um, in a couple of reviews of the A7R2, and I thought, ah, whatever, you scratch your your LCD, whatever. <laughs> but like, as I looked at a bunch of used ones, they're all just like horrifically marred. And my RX100, I only owned for five months, and there were already several scratches on it. Uh, so definitely, uh, if you have a screen protector, or if you shoot Sony, absolutely, you need a screen protector. But even otherwise, you might as well put one on there. I mean, it gives you a little bit of, of crack resistance, you know, if something were to bang against it in the in a camera bag that happened to me once, you know, a loose battery kind of hit it hard and cracked my screen on an icon. Uh, you know, whatever things happen, uh, a screen protector costs two bucks and your camera costs, you know, whatever it costs a couple thousand. So protect that sucker. Just put a screen protector on once and you're done. All right, Kirk, what do you have for us? Uh, You're killing me with this, Kirk. I read it on here. Don't say it because I want this thing. (laughs) Yeah, you're going to have to make sure you're sitting down for this Ah. one, Jim. Um, But so I've got the Rhino Motion Evo and the Arc Evo slider. 
Um, I picked this up. It actually came in the mail yesterday. Um, so so tell us I, what a slider is. For A lot of these people are still photographers. They might not know what this is. Okie dokie. So a slider is, it's basically two rails and it's got like a little like a little mine car that sits on it. And you use that to get super smooth, buttery smooth motion shots. Um, I would say a lot of uh, landscape photographers use them to get like time-lapse videos of like the stars or the Milky Way or like some sort of scene that unfolds in front of you over the course of a couple hours. Um, a lot of people that do uh, interviews will use them to get like some motion shots of interviews just to make it a little more interesting instead of just a static camera. Um, and then the reason that I got it as a real estate photographer is because um, they work out really well to do real estate videos. Um, and there's, and the reason that I got this one specifically is because you, it's motorized. And so you can program how fast or slow you want the movements to be. And you can, you can set it to, to auto pan and all sorts of other cool stuff. Um, there's a, a unique idea that I have to shoot, um, to, to do a real estate video. Um, so I needed this one specifically for it um, in order to execute my idea, which I'm not going to talk about because I don't want anybody to steal. Super secret. But as soon as I get it released, um, yeah, we can, we can definitely um, show it on uh, Improved Photography. And um, I think I did a test run um, with a different slider that I have trying to do everything manual and being super careful with it. And it turned out awesome. I had to, I was yelling for my wife to come into the room and look at Adobe Premiere and showing her how slick this shot was. Um, so then I, I had to run out and buy this slider and, and we'll be putting this video together um, at a shoot I've got coming up in a couple of weeks. So, uh, all right, what's the damage? How much does this thing? Well, I already know how much this costs. That's why <coughs> I didn't buy it, but I want to buy it. How yeah. Much is so, it? This is this is not uh, something for the faint of hearts. Um, the package that I got was a 24-inch carbon fiber slider, car carbon fiber slider, um, with the uh, with the motorized mount and with the um, the Arc Evo, which is what allows your camera to pan uh, side to side. Um, total cost for that plus the uh, lifetime warranty on all of the electronics was like fifteen hundred and seventy dollars or something <sighs> like that. Yeah, it was. I see. They're expensive suckers, especially because you can get a you know a slider for a hundred bucks, and they have some kind of uh, kind of cheapy motors for them that you can buy for you know eighty dollars, etc. And oh, kind of yeah, cobble together a system. I got a, a a newer carbon fiber slider, twenty four inch, for a hundred bucks off of Amazon, and I used it a bunch of times, and it and it was great, super smooth. It was awesome, but. I needed the motor and I needed the functionality of this Rhino. That's why I, I bit the bullet and uh, went out and, and bought it. Well, it looks awesome. I would love to pick one up. Maybe I, maybe I will eventually will. Uh, they look really cool. Well, thanks everybody for joining us in this episode of the Improved Photography Podcast, and we will see you in another seven days.